The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed into them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. This uh, weekend was, Friday was Oliver's, our, our little boy's birthday, his second birthday. So we had family come over and we had a birthday party. And then uh, yesterday we had, there were several other kids with birthdays in our uh, seminary housing complex. So we had a giant party and invited all the people from the seminary to come. And near the end of the party, we were playing some music and hanging around and uh, there was a large group of seminarians gathered, and one of them said, oh, I'm preaching tomorrow. I've got to work on a sermon. And so another said, oh, you know, I'm preaching too. And a third one said it, and a fourth, and a fifth. And uh, that's because this is a special Sunday in the church year. This is, well, for two reasons. One, this is the Sunday of the intern or the guest preacher. It's the week after Easter and the week after Christmas are those two Sundays so all these seminarians were all like, wait a second, you're preaching? But it's no surprise. And I've often thought, because this is also always in the church year, the Sunday where we hear about Thomas, or as people have called him throughout the years, Doubting Thomas. And I've always wondered if this is a, a, a tactic of pastors and semin- to put these skeptical seminarians to have to preach on the Doubting Thomas text and challenge themselves and their questioning waves. But the, this, the one thing about this text that's always really uh, struck me as curious is the way that no one seems to recognize Jesus. And we heard this in some of the other gospel readings 
We hear it in On the Road to Emmaus in Luke. They don't know who Jesus is until the breaking of the bread. We hear it's Mary in the garden, and we imagine Jesus, you know, holding a trowel or something. He thinks he's a gardener. We hear it in this passage. passage. The disciples don't know when they first gather that it's Jesus until they see his hands and side. And Thomas insists on seeing something in particular. And then later in John, we hear and the fishing incident, we don't know, they don't know who Jesus is at that time either. And I've always wondered, what could Jesus possibly have looked like that, you know, they wouldn't recognize him? Did he, you know, cut his hair, or was he, you know, shaved? When you're resurrected, you don't have a beard anymore or something, or he has a, a giant baseball cap on or something, I don't know. But I, I, I don't understand why they don't recognize Jesus and this isn't an, a totally uncommon thing in literature. In, in uh, Homer's uh, Iliad and Odyssey, we hear about Odysseus, who is uh, after the fall of Troy, and is, it's been about 10 years, and he's making his way home, and comes home you know, through various adventures. And when he gets home, they don't recognize him. He's dressed as a beggar because he hears that he's, he's protecting himself because there's all these suitors there who want to, you know, marry his wife and take the kingdom, basically. And uh, there's a scene where his, his old nurse is, is washing him, I think, and even then doesn't realize who this person is and doesn't recognize him until she feels the scar from when uh, he was hunting boars as a child. And uh, Penelope, his wife, she won't accept this. She won't accept the fact that what she hears from other people, that this is indeed who it is from the nurse. And in the same way in our church, we are told about Christ by other people, televangelists, people in the corner, our churches, pastors all around will talk about Jesus. I've seen the Lord, or, or God told me this. When people tell us that, do we want to believe them? Should we believe without seeing? There's a lot of horrible things said in the name of Jesus Christ. And if we accept those blindly, we will get ourselves into trouble. So Penelope, in order to test and find out if Odysseus is indeed her husband, has this archery competition and she knows that he's the only one who could string his own bow and shoot through these 12 axes. And so he does. And that's how she knows that this is the person. She can't tell by looking at him, which seems absurd. And so when we think about Thomas, Thomas wants a sign too. He wants something he can see, something that will you know, make it clear to him. And Thomas doesn't ask for you know, God to perform another miracle, to change this water to wine, to do something like that. Thomas wants to see the wounds, the very human things about Jesus. And Thomas is no fool. He's not, we always, we've given him this moniker of doubting Thomas, but Thomas is the one earlier in John who, he was the one disciple who said, I will die with you, Jesus, on the way to Bethany. Or later, he says, I will follow you, just tell me where to go. He's this loyal, brave 
disciple. And so when while Penelope is praised in the story for not accepting any, him immediately as Odysseus, she's praised because she's not willing to give up everything, to give up this kingdom to anyone. She wants to be sure that what she, who she is seeing, what she's hearing, is indeed. And I think, in many ways, Thomas should be praised for the same thing, for being willing to value the faith so much that he needs to see a real sign and not hear it from his, just as hearsay. But the sign that he asks for, and when he does, when Jesus does say, put your finger in my side, feel the mark, marks in my hands, Thomas exclaims saying, my Lord and my God, which in all of the Gospels is the most the, the, most, the highest Christological affirmation of this person, Jesus. He is saying, this person is my human Lord, the person I've been following, the master that I've spent my life with, and that this human with wounds is God, God's self, not just a, an amazing human. We had a reading from 1 John today, a very uh, familiar we- reading, and... Um, the community of 1 John is related to this, the gospel writers of John, and they're known because they write these, they've written this as a kind of, uh, it's to the community, it's a letter, but it's to their own community. And throughout they talk about these heretics, these antichrists, because they're writing to protect themselves from a group of people that have split off from them who were not willing to accept that God became truly human. And so they are trying to establish this value in the community to retain this fact that this this person, Jesus, this person who died on a cross was God who did indeed suffer and has these wounds. These other people would see Jesus resurrected as something without wounds, without blemish, pure, shining with a light that might blot out all the evils of the world, something that would draw us out of the world. But this 1 John text is also the text where we get our confessional language that we use in church. We have deceived ourselves. The truth is not in us if we say we have not sinned. As we are in the world thinking about where people will see Jesus, where they will come in contact with Jesus. We know that we, as the body of Christ, as a community, will be that visual representation. And the way we have often painted ourselves as a church to look like to the world is on a moral high ground as an unblemished church with no wounds. So what the confession does is it makes us honest about who we are and what God has done for us. If we're not sinners, then we didn't need Jesus. But we are sinners. So who we are as a church for the world to see is formed in the visual image of us as 
a wounded body of Christ. And when doubters or people seeking something come to the church, or when we're out and about and having that conversation, we as a church need to think about the ways we are willing to allow outsiders who are skeptical to, to let them see us as wounded, as sinful, to let them feel the marks in our hands, put the hands in our side, and see us as vulnerable. Because only then will they see Jesus through us. We gather here the week after Easter, and that's the same time in this passage that the disciples have come together. It's the one week after the resurrection. And Thomas isn't there the first time. Maybe he's out buying drinks, or I don't know where he is, but then they come back again. So we're here, and our doors aren't locked. They're open. But we come here wanting to see Jesus, too, wanting something to hold on to. And so where do we recognize Jesus in this service? Where do we see Jesus? Well, tied to the confession in the beginning of the service is forgiveness. And in the text from John today, when Jesus enters and says, peace be with you, and shows himself, and they realize who it is, and he says, peace be with you again, and breathes into them. It's the same word used in Genesis for the creation of Adam, for the creation of humanity, of having the Spirit blown into us. And then he gives one verse saying basically what we're called to do, to forgive sins. That is our calling as a church. And even in text study this week, we were try- trying to, I was trying to figure out what, what should that look like? Do we look like a church that is called to forgive? Is that what the world sees when they look at the church? I don't think so. But we're not perfect, and we come here knowing that that's something we will hear from God. And that's where we see Jesus when we come. And we want to touch the body, to feel those wounds, which is what we do in communion. When the body is broken and the blood is poured, we remember, we are able to see and grasp onto something that can teach us that we are forgiven. So, even though confession and forgiveness is often thought of as the Lenten thing we do in preparation for the suffering on the cross, it's a very Easter thing because who we are as a resurrected church, as a church living into the future, in the present, who we are is a wounded body. When we look to God for direction of where we should go, God didn't go to heaven. God came to earth. So if we follow God, truly follow God, we're following God into earth to do work. This Easter season, all uh, six, seven weeks, 50 days of it, I don't know how many weeks that is, is a chance for us to think about the ways we can go into the world, the ways that we can be a sign of this body of Christ, for doubters, for people wanting something to hold on to. 
What can we offer the world? Amen.